Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Jesus, Dietrich, and Me. This is episode number 96, inching ever so slowly yet surely towards episode number 100. Pastor Hill, I think that we should do something special for number 100. I'm pretty sure we ought first do a recount because I feel like it's 112. (laughs) It's been 100. I can... I can assure you that it is that it's been it's been exactly ninety. This is number ninety six. It's been exactly ninety five. So, okay. but uh, also happy uh, happy National Beer Lovers Day. Oh gosh, what would you say your favorite beer is? Last night I I'm on a diet, so last night I had a bottle of Final Absolution, but I only drank half of it. I so guess I'm partial, still in my sits. So it's only <laughs> It's only partial absolution. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yes, that's a good one. That is, uh, that is Dragon Mead Brewery, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, one of my favorites. Yep, that's a good one. So, uh, I'm partial to some of those up north beers. Right now, I'm on an amber ale kick, and over the weekend, enjoyed a cherry pie amber ale, which was from Right Brain Brewery in Traverse City. Uh, actually, made with real Grand Traverse pies and pie crust. It's one of those beers that doesn't really. It doesn't taste as good out of a uh, out of a can, but it smells good. It smells really good when you pour it into a glass. Um, so that's kind of where that's where I I'm will right. tell you, Luther would laugh his butt off at I'm what sure you call beer. <laughs> I'm sure he would. That's this a, is beer, right? This I, is not the gift of God. <laughs> anyway, uh, so it's good to be with you. Yes, that is uh, that is Pastor Jim across from me here at Christ Our Savior, and I am Pastor Tyler Cronkray. We get to serve at uh, Family of God Lutheran Church in Southwest Detroit and at St. Stephen in Southwest Detroit, and we've been going through a lot of these uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer-isms. Uh, last week, we did not have an episode, uh, but to, to, be, to be frank, uh, we were—how do I put this delicately? We were in a meeting— uh, with uh, some folks, then we got distracted by the time, and then we got just distracted with all these different other things. And uh, those of you that listen that are in ministry, you know that sometimes things can just snowball. And we opted and just said, you know what, not feeling it this week. And that was our choice. And we had a couple people that said, what happened? Why didn't you have an episode? Well, we just decided to take a hot take a hot second and see if you noticed. Yeah, see if you noticed. So you did. Thank you, thank you for that. So uh, we're back today, and we're going to be getting back into Psalm one nineteen. The last couple episodes we spent uh, here because it's an obnoxiously lo- long psalm, and we're actually the uh, three year lectionary three year lectionary is going back to Psalm one nineteen again this week. And so uh, we're going to be looking at verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Uh, Last week, we, if you remember, we talked about being a stranger, that concept of how heaven is, what did you say? Did you say something? Before. What did we do before? You said last week. We didn't say anything last week. I'm sorry. Two weeks ago, you knew what I meant. Our listeners knew what I meant. So last time, Last time we were at uh, talking about being a stranger on earth. What does that look like? What does it mean in the sense that we, to be frank, we don't, this isn't where we belong. This isn't where God has called us to be. It is where he has placed us for the time being, but this is not our earthly reward. And so that was what we talked about last time. You go back and listen to that episode leading into this one. And so before we do that, though, Uh, The weekly tradition continues. Uh, It's time for Follies of the Week. Pastor Hill, your folly this week is? I am actually torn. I am not surprised. Um, Just reading that this is Michigan. Orchard, apple, city, country, state, right? To read that a gallon of apple cider will be $14 this year (laughs) just fills me in wonder for our economy. My pocketbook is already sweating. Yeah. Oh, don't look at that. No, no, no. Don't look at that. $3.89 a gallon for gas. gas We're going to pay for everything else through your nose, but don't look at that. (laughs) Who's going to buy $14? (sighs) I see your hand up. Nobody else sees your hand up. (laughs) We'll probably buy one. (laughs) 
I think I can say that for certain. You could buy a gallon of vodka for less than fourteen dollars. Not oh, good don't, vodka, but don't don't tempt me. <laughs> don't tempt me to do. Yeah, that. Um, but actually, my more serious folly is with the latest results of our kids' performance in schools. We suddenly see from the much overpaid, more than four hundred grand a year, president of the teachers' union saying. It was Trump that forced us to close the schools. Two years ago, Trump was evil for trying to force the schools open. Right. How stupid does she think we are? Apparently as stupid as a grade school student. thinks that we are incredibly stupid. That's what I've been trying to tell people for years. You know, it's not our fault, the teachers and the teachers' union, that scores plummeted. No, no, no. Of course, if they'd have went up, guess who would have gotten the credit? Right. But, exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. geez, $400,000 to be the purveyor of liberal wokeism instead of math and science and literature. Well, okay. This is your country. Mine? Plural, your country. <laughs> Y'all's country. This didn't just happen. We walked into it with eyes open. So, anyway. That's cheerful, That's isn't yours. it? Yeah. Uh, mine's going to be a little bit, um, how do I want to say this? Mine, so I don't know, maybe you can help me out here, Pastor Jim, because I don't know. Did Joyce Meyer make a like a comeback or something? Like, is she in the news again about something? That I know of. Okay, because I, I just... I, if many of you may recall, uh, I wrote an article not too long ago uh, accusing uh, Joyce Meyer of being an enemy of the cross uh, because she does not preach Christ crucified. Um, she sounds a lot like that, but in its purity, it's not. It's a lot of, to be frank, it's just not good theology. Uh, how Jesus is not the son. Of, how Jesus stopped being the son of God when he was on the cross. How she's no longer a actually branched into prosperity gospel, but yes. very, oh, very much so, and. I was just curious because I received an email last the end of last week, which I saw this week because it was the Labor Day weekend and all that, and I was going through emails yesterday and I saw it uh, with someone else, so of a person bringing up, excuse me, bringing up Joyce Meyer in the article that I wrote from months ago. And then while we were in the staff meeting, I got another email from another person on my personal blog where I shared that article. And saying the same thing and accusing me of being a terrible Lutheran because I don't believe what she said. One of his big arguments was, well, you don't believe in infant or you believe in infant baptism, which isn't scriptural, uh, which we're actually going to get to next week. But um, I want to read part of this email to you that I got a from a couple weeks ago or from last week uh, as to why and asking why, why do you not like Joyce Meyer? So this is what I'm going to, obviously I'm going to withhold the name of the person uh, for their own, um, for their own, well, how would you say that? Security, I guess. Protection. Protection, yeah. yeah. And so it says, Dear Pastor, I read your article in our our church newsletter, and I respectfully disagree with your criticism of Joyce Meyer. I've listened to many of her sermons, and it always ends me with feeling uplifted and thankful to be a Christian. If you are critical of her not interpreting Scripture the same way that you do, I can understand how that could happen. But I don't think it would be fair to imply that nobody should listen to her speak because they would somehow be misled and lose their chance at heaven. I had a, this is this is the this is what made me laugh. I had a friend who attended the same Lutheran church that I did suddenly stop going to church because she didn't like constantly being reminded that she was a sinner and had to repent over and over again. She believed, as Joyce Meyer seems to, that Christ paid the penalty once for all, that you do not have to start over every day, believing that the price that he paid on the cross somehow did not cover your sin you just committed yesterday, the day after you accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Calling herself a non-sinner is perhaps a stretch, but I think it just shows how she looks at Christ's sacrifice in her mind as being all-inclusive. It's sort of like saying, oops, God, you forgot about that lustful thought I had yesterday. Just a moment, I'll tell you about it so that you can forgive me. In her mind, that lustful thought was not a sin because it was already forgiven before it happened or something like that. And then she goes on to just uh, to talk about how she was raised Lutheran and how she, she listens to, not only listens to her, to Joyce Meyer, but also listens to Joel Olstein. 
Uh, and then also says that she hears similar criticisms of Joel Osteen because his interpretation of Scripture is different than the Lutheran view of Scripture. That what he says is evil is that what we would say is evil. He she says that it's nonsense, and so I was just curious if like why is it that Joyce Meyer in the, within the last couple of days I have read criticisms of my criticism of Joyce Meyer. And the the thing that got to me was the frustration that got to me was the fact that there are probably still people, and this is probably this is probably the best summation of the problem that's in America is that people don't go to church or they go to these prosperity churches because they don't like to be told that they are sinful. They don't like to be told that they are sinners and in desperate need of forgiveness. They don't like being told that the Christian life is not getting better, but the Christian life is nothing but daily dying and rising, which, by the way, is quite literally what your baptism is and in our Lutheran catechesis. And it was just uh, just mind-boggling to me, I guess, that there are people that think this way. Uh, I guess I shouldn't be mind-boggled, but I've been trying to figure out how to respond to this person, and I couldn't figure out how to respond to the other person. I don't know if I'm going to. I don't know what the right response to that is. What does Bonhoeffer say? Don't, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, don't, don't, don't even bother arguing with fools. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of where, that's kind of where I'm at. So that person said, I think it's the same person, I feel so uplifted, yeah. and I'm, my word, validated after I listen yeah. to them. Yeah. That reminds me of a Bible verse. False teachers who mm. teach you what your itching, your itching ears, ears want, want to hear. To right. hear. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on. Sure. Absolutely. So. I'm in both cases. Um, I haven't I haven't dive dove dive completely into the most recent the most recent article that I received from uh, from them, but you know, it just I don't know. I just why it's just one of those things people want to be validated for listening to somebody that makes them feel good. And so I'm sorry. I've been telling people this all the time. If you want to come and listen to my sermons, I'm not gonna make you feel good. You're not going to make me feel good. Part of the article that we're going to talk about next week. Yeah. It talks about the a church that validates people's personal choices and lifestyle. And that's what people want to hear, mm-hmm. you know. I I'm okay, you know. What I'm doing is, you know. Anyway. The other thing is, what's the first of the 95 theses? Uh, Christian's Christian life, life should be a life of daily repentance. Yeah. Celebration because I've got it good. <laughs> no. Well, that wasn't it. What was it again? Repentance, repentance, repentance. Yeah. Daily repentance. So my gosh. I don't I know that's ninety five theses are not in the Book of Concord, I don't think. But I don't know how you can be a Lutheran without understanding your life is a daily life of repentance. Yeah. Well, and and I don't understand how I don't understand how you can't see that anyone that doesn't preach Christ crucified in its purity. I mean, I, I'm being accused of being unscriptural and not being a good Lutheran and actually being dangerous. And yet you're saying that baptism is invalid and how infant baptism is not scriptural when there's evidence for infant baptism all over the place in scripture. So how can I even take your argument seriously when to me, I read a an argument like that, and I think that you have a very is convoluted the right way, the right yeah. word view of scripture. It's very, it's very cloudy. Uh, you not seeing it for what it is. But he did end with a a very nice uh, the late the latest email, a very nice prayer. How he's praying for me for the, my eyes to be opened and the spirit to reveal the truth about this, that, and the other thing. It was very. It was one of those things where say, like, no offense, but I'm going to offend you and have a great day. <laughs> That's what it seemed like to me. I'll show I'll show it to you later on. But that was my folly of the week. I just I don't I don't I didn't I didn't get it. And I was just curious if if Joyce had made it back into the news, whether she had purchased another what was it a million dollar bidet or something like that. Quarter million dollar. Quarter million, uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. She didn't do that as oh my far gosh. as you know. Well, no, she did. That not again. Even. It was. It was accused that she had a quarter million dollar toilet, but it wasn't a toilet. It was the special—I can't remember the right word—but uh, special um, 
cabinet that you keep in your bathroom for stuff. <laughs> right. Well, that makes it all right. So I was given this prayer today. This is in maybe in context. Okay. Um, uh, I can't imagine Joyce Myers or Joel Osteen praying this. So, Almighty God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Burn my chaff and quench my sinful passions in the daily washing of my of your holy baptism. When the person handed me this, I said, uh, burn my, you know, I'm not sure I even want to pray that right, prayer. Right, but, yeah. Wow, that's a whole different Christian view than either of those two people have, right? Yeah. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Mm-hmm. Burn away those things that are uh, a hindrance between you and me. Mm-hmm. Quench my passions. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then basing it all on, on a claim um, of the promises God made to you in your baptism. Right. Yeah, I can't see those people praying that prayer. Yeah. They'd be scoffing. Yes, because it flies in the face. So preachers like Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer, which, I, I mean, she's not only, at the end of the day, she's taking a position that's unscriptural. Uh, women are not called to be pastors. That's just the way that it is. I didn't make the rules. God did. So number one, I mean, that at, at any violation, that, that's what that is, too. She's taking an office of public ministry uh, to do those kinds of things and to say those things, and then she's teaching falsely. And so, yes, she's got a lot of great things. Joel Osteen has a lot of great ministries, has done some really wonderful things. My, I've, I think I've said this before on this podcast. My wife is a Christian because of Joel Osteen. She went and heard him speak at a really low point in her life, and he was talking about how God doesn't dwell on your mistakes. He doesn't dwell on your past, which is very true. However, I asked my wife this. He talked for over an hour. Not once did he say, your sins are forgiven. Not once did he say that. That's the gospel. And if you're not preaching the gospel, you you are not preaching Christ crucified. And so if you are not preaching forgiveness in Christ's name, because of what Christ did for you, and you're just having this generic, well, just this generic God doesn't dwell on your mistakes. You can you can say that about anything. I don't dwell on my mistakes. You don't dwell on your mistakes. It's a it's that's an American principle is move forward. And so, but God used that with my wife to draw her to to allow her to start seeing things the way that God wanted her to see that. And then she went to started going to chapel because she wanted to hear more about this God that doesn't dwell on your mistakes. Well, he doesn't dwell on your mistakes because he's forgiven you of your mistakes. So, so a, a, and we'll probably never get to Bonhoeffer now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a fundamental error in both of their teaching is to say that your life is about you. Yeah. Rather than, I discussed this with a lady at senior Bible class today. She was, first she said, she's probably 66 or something. Uh, my service to God is over, and I, my first answer to her was, are you breathing? Uh-huh. <laughs> if you're breathing, the answer to that is no, your service to God is not. Well, I don't know what he wants me to do. The way that, the way that you serve God is probably changing because of different yes, physical but limitations. But your, your obligation is not over. I agree. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, so, yep. and then at one point she said, well, I feel God pulling me in certain directions. And I said, pulling you means you're resisting. <laughs> Stop resisting. Right. Uh, so that would be more Bonhoeffer-ish, Ian. Yeah, that uh, we Christian life is the life of single-minded obedience to Christ, in, right? In faith, or single-minded devotion to Christ, right. in faith. Yeah, and so you don't hear that from either of those preachers. No. You're, you're, the purpose of your life is you. That's yes. what you would hear from Austin. And uh, God's purpose in life, if you can say God has a life, is to bless you. Right. Well. Okay. He created you to bless you. Oh wow. Okay. I could have think of a better hobby, God. <laughs> so I don't actually, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, well, it's how He blesses you. There we go. All right. Perfect. Uh, yes. God created God created us to give us salvation. 
how's that? He created us to give us might and, be his and own and live kingdom. under him and his kingdom and right. serve him and everlasting you know, whatever. Right. He created us to yeah. give us his gifts, right? Not to give us gifts of the world, but to give us his gifts, which is life, salvation, yeah. and freedom and service to others. That's that's what he gives us. The other thing too that I think these these two preachers in particular there are many more. And there are many more, yes, and there are many more. I think what it really all comes down to is anthropology. And so people like Meyer and Osteen have a fairly high, uh, a high anthropology where I tend to have a very low anthropology. And maybe that's just because we've been in the inner city for so long. Um, and so you start to think of, you see people for who they really are. You see the way that people serve for the what they really are. You see people not wanting to serve because it's inconvenient. You see, you get to see a whole different kinds of things from from our perspective when you're in this city. You get to see people in addiction. You get to see people living their lives in sin, but then you get to see the attitudes of those suburban congregations that that we get to see them resist. in their full fallen state, yes. Right. Oh yeah. But then but then you also get to see as we can bear anyway. Yeah. Well, and we see we see us too because I I find myself doing this all the time. This is our call is to serve people in in these in this neighborhood and in this condition and it can be so blasted hard sometimes and you find yourselves saying you know what i really don't want to help this person today because he was really kind of a you know what to me earlier i don't want to serve him and i think you you find that i'm guilty of that i know plenty of volunteers that are guilty of that people who would openly say that and they ask for forgiveness for that it's the beauty of being in christ is that when you have those attitudes you go to jesus and he gives you forgiveness this is why it's daily dying and rising and you need to be constantly told that you are a sinner so that you can constantly be given that forgiveness because after all christ didn't die for people who don't sin he died for people who sin each and every day and so to, to suggest, this is where I'll close, to suggest that we're no longer a sinner means that we no longer need Christ. If you're no longer a sinner, don't go to Lord's Supper anymore. If you're no longer a sinner, you might as well just stop serving others. If you're no longer a sinner, stop going to church. If you're no longer a sinner, stop doing everything that that allows you to receive forgiveness because you don't need it anymore. And if that's what your attitude is, then I would say it's time for you to repent. And that's so that Jesus can give you that forgiveness. Um, so that long story short, we, we went on a rabbit trail there, but that was my folly for this week um, was being accused of not being a good Lutheran and, <laughs> and, and dragging Joyce Meyer up again, which is always fun for me. All right. You ready to go? You ready to go Bonhoeffer? What have we been doing? What are we ready to go? <laughs> All right. So if you've been, if you've been, uh, Following along in the book, we are on page 93. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Meditations on the Psalms, formerly titled My Soul Finds Rest, edited and translated by Edwin Robertson. And so he begins, well, he was kind of in the middle of his meditation, Psalm 119, verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. And then he writes this, the longing for God's commandments is greater than our soul can bear. The soul is overwhelmed when, from God, the great longing for his word comes over us. This longing to know God's commands, whatever it costs, is not a strength to the soul, but, on the contrary, it's death. It is not the soul with its manifold rules and desires, but that which silences all other longings, the longing for God's word in me. Now, let's be honest for a minute. How many people in the church wander around with that kind of longing? Uh, very few. Very few is what I would have to say. Um, why do we not want to know? Because he says here, longing to know God's commands. Here's the answer to my question. I didn't even get out of my mouth. <laughs> whatever it costs, whatever it costs, as soon as soon as that longing for God's word falls on us, inevitably our flesh says what? Run. Run, 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 because it's going to ask of us that which we do not want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want. You know, we don't want to do. I, I can pretty much count on the last thing. The last thing I want to ever give to God is what He's going to ask for. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. It's just the way it is. God, you can have a, a, a Bible study called Halftime about people in midlife who give up pursuing their own life and start 
pursuing God's will for their life, halftime. They had a, it was a video presentation, and the woman says, God, you can have whatever you want of me, but I need to protect my Wednesday bridge. Guess what God came for first? Wednesday bridge. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's also like, okay, that's how it really is, too. The one thing we want to withhold is the one thing he's going to come from for because what is it that one thing doing? Well, it's taking you from him. him yeah, separating right. you. Or I should say, I should say it has the it has the capacity and the ability to do that. Is what I would say. Right. You can even you're almost saying my bridge date is idolatry. I sure this you can have everything God, but not this thing. Not this and thing. so. I'm going to go hide this under the broom tree so that I can come back yeah. for it. And then we'll then immediately here comes an amazing opportunity from God that can only be done Wednesday afternoon during bridge time. <laughs> That's just how it works. Right. So he's coming from, I think, a viewpoint of someone who is already committed to that single-minded obedience, devotion to Christ, calls for that person to want to be filled with his word and to know what God um, purpose is for him and to, sorry, go back. I like to go back to weddings That's and fine. forsaking all others. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, to bind yourself to him, and that is so incredibly hard, especially in a self-centered, uh, egomaniacal culture. Yeah. And that's why. What link, I was linking back to Austin and all. It's all about you. It's the exact opposite of what God's word is. It's not all about you. It's all, well, in a sense. I died for you, but I didn't die for you to be you. I died right. for you to be mine. To be mine, and yeah. who I created you to be. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this during um, during the staff meeting when they were talking about uh, when, <laughs> when they when they were talking about um, youth and family night and how that's on you know during the summer. It's I think it's on Wednesdays, and how during the school year it goes back to being on Sunday nights. Yeah, and. You find a lot of churches that have completely abandoned uh, midweek things, and the reason is because nobody goes. Nobody goes to those kinds of things because um, they have other things going on, right? They've got football practice. They've got soccer practice. Life is complicated. Got, yes. Right, right. And so where the church is, is forced, essentially what the church is forced to do then is to say, okay, we're going to move it to Sunday, which at that point— you know, if you are a church worker and or if you are a pastor, if you are a family life director, because your people aren't willing to do what my mom and dad did, which was said, by no means are you playing playing hockey on Wednesday nights because you're going to catechesis and you're going to be with your church whether you like it or not, which I'm, again, I've said this before, incredibly grateful for that, but because, but not at the time, right? Um but if because your congregation has said we would rather play soccer, we would rather go to dance class, we don't want to come to church during the week because it's inconvenient, we'd rather inconvenience you and make you work twice as hard on a Sunday and be here and be a part of this uh, and take time away from your families over the weekend so that we don't have to give up what we want. That's exactly how I how I react when I hear that churches are moving their family nights from, and it's not just here. It's out. It's it's across the board. When they it, when they hear that, it's we don't want to, we don't want to inconvenience our kids. So we're going to inconvenience you because it's better for us, and we don't want to give up that one night during the week. It's just that's that's essentially what that is, and it's idolatry at the at its core. It's idolatry. Is that too harsh? No. I I guess one could argue one day is no different than another, except for the argument about what you're doing to the staff. But a practical and a practical argument in defense of it is: okay, three families come on Wednesday, twelve families come on Sunday. Uh, okay, oh, worth the price. Right, I know, I know, I, and I'm just I'm just doesn't saying doesn't make it right, but it might be worth it. Right, but if those if those twelve families that come on Sunday were to say if if the reason they're coming on Sunday is because they have bridge on Wednesday. Then I think. Then I think that's a different argument. Or bowling, or right. bingo, or right. whatever. You, right. You have cho- you've made your choice. Choose this day who you will serve. Oh, we're going to choose to serve ourselves because we like going to this more. 
I've, in the past I've talked about, I mean, if we want to be a highly successful church, I am being sarcastic, please. Mm-hmm. We should name ourselves the Church of the Minimum Requirements. <laughs> and then just for, just for, here's the minimum you have to do, this, right. this, and this. If you do only this, you're good to go. We'll punch your ticket. Right. You're going, yeah, okay. People would flock to a church like that. <laughs> oh, I only have to come one Sunday out of four? Yeah, oh, cool. Mean? Yeah. I don't have to tithe. I just have to give something. Right. Yeah. It would be attractive, right? Because that's what people want. <laughs> the next paragraph, I think, is interesting. <laughs> I have a hard time okay. with that microphone. <laughs> Drop right, a sentence. Paragraph. Sorry about that. It's okay. You want me to read it? Start with to hear. Uh, okay. Uh, to hear, to see, to recognize God's law rather than human rights, God's demands rather than claims of men requires the total sacrifice of the soul. Is that where you wanted to read? Yeah, but let's personalize it. So you could make it say, to hear, to see, to recognize God's law rather than my right, mm-hmm. God's demands rather than my claims, requires the total sacrifice of the soul. Right. Total sacrifice of the soul. That's, again, single-minded devotion or obedience to Christ is, I don't even know if that's possible. I mean, on a spectrum, I guess. I, w- I would argue that it's total obedience to Christ is impossible. Yeah, more total devotion. But there are some who are closer than others. Right. Right. Um, it's a good, it's a good thought. How about thought. striving for it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thought, but it just doesn't. It's it just doesn't. Fly In an absolute term, no. I like what he says after though. He says, "When this longing for God comes over us, the soul suffers torment, and then it collapses. The systems melt away. He who goes on pilgrimage does not ask about sweat tears and the wounds he bears. He asks about the goal." So again, do you I, think that's true? I I think almost all of us would prefer not to be put into this crisis of knowing what God wants, Mm -hmm. and uh, we prefer to pretend we don't know what God wants because then we can validate ourselves and uh, not go through this crisis (laughs) of the soul because the crisis of the soul comes back to choose. Are you going to follow me or are you not going to follow me Um, imperfectly? I'm going to say imperfectly, but if you you, uh, cultivate a viewpoint that doesn't even uh, recognize Christ's call on your life, then you don't have to have this trauma. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's more that's be more of American Christian viewpoint. Uh, let's 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 not discuss discipleship because after all, that's you know God a, loves well, me a, and that's all I need to know. Yeah, but discipleship's a gift, Pastor Jim. That it's a spiritual gift, uh, and not everyone has that gift. Yes, whoever said that should be whipped. <laughs> I know that sounded graceless, but yeah. All right, so he says, he goes on and says, because the longing for God's word is not born in the soul. Wow, hold on. <laughs> because the longing for God's word is not born in the soul. That, to me, I go back to, uh, I know he's not a Lutheran, but D.L. Moody, right? I prayed for God to give me faith, and he never gave me faith until, until I opened up the word and read, and then faith was cultivated in me, right? Right, faith followed, yeah. And that's it. Because you were exposed to the word, or you mm-hmm. heard the word, right? It doesn't. It doesn't come from yourself. It comes from outside yourself. It is therefore. It is therefore like a not like a shaking or a movement of the soul that is over in an over in an hour or a day. It cannot be compared with the longing of the soul or a beloved person. Because this is valid only for a period of time. So this longing for God's word comes from God himself, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Um, which immediately, again, that provokes a crisis of faith. Do I heed this call or do I shut it down? Mm-hmm. Right? And if I heed it, um, yeah, my life is good. My soul, my life is going to go into turmoil because I'll be faced with all kinds of choices I don't want to face. Mm-hmm. Um and that's why so many people would, uh, first of all, I said lots of us don't want to know what God's will is because then we would have to say yes or no. <laughs> um, that's kind of what's here. But we, we, when the Holy Spirit comes at us like that with the words, our gut reaction is to run. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Run, yeah. We want we want nothing we want nothing to do with what God wants to do. It's like us. a roaring tiger coming to devour us. Right. <laughs> We're gonna run, right? Right. Well, that's why. I mean, all you got to do is ask um, one of our deacons, Paul. Right, Paul. I don't know if he listens to the podcast, so we'll have to ask him. I don't think he listens to podcasts in general, but Paul w- likes to tell the story about um, you know his his big life changing experience, his big faith building experience was going on a going to Honduras, which was actually something that he had been asked to go on multiple times, and he said, "No, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do that." Didn't lose anything <laughs> down there, <laughs> right? It was until it was until God used his wife. And said, "Paul, we're doing this tough. <laughs> Suck it up. We're going." And and he was. He'll tell you he was never the same after that. God used that experience. It was came from outside himself, and there's now he's studying to be a deacon within the Lutheran Church. That's that's where that comes from. It did not come. From, he didn't just cultivate from inside him and just. Oh, I just have this urging to do this. No, God did that through outside means. Uh, the we said that the Latin Latin phrase for that is extra nos, extra nos, and it comes from outside of outside of yourself. Us, nos yeah. is us, yeah. plural, but yes, outside of us, right? So he says the longing for God that consumes the soul is true for all times. It cannot be otherwise when it comes over us from God Himself. I'm thinking he's saying if we. Uh, don't run, but yield to this longing. I'm just going to use say maybe it's too weak a word. It's transformational. Sure. It's not a a, um, a mountaintop experience that, that now it's over and I can barely remember it. It's everything has changed beneath my feet, and despite from my sinful nature, I cannot help but want to pursue God's word um, once. He's implanted it once I've yielded to him. Lord knows what it will take me, and no, no telling what kind of rebellions I'm going to put up along the way, but once you're engaged, you're engaged, I think is what he's saying there. It's yeah. just not a blip on the radar. Right. I agree. So, of course, when he wrote this, there was no such thing as radar, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> or it was a state secret, rather. Okay. Yes. Uh, is it must be for I like what he says next is it must be forever. It has practically nothing to do with an emotional surge or a single dedication of the heart to God's word. It is a decision made for all time. I don't know if I like that phraseology, but I know what he means. Not the warmth of godliness, but waiting upon the word to the very end denotes a longing for the word of God. It is therefore wrong to confuse this longing with religious fervor. I think that's I think that's an important distinction to make. On the contrary, what we're talking about here is the experience of being consumed by the hunger of this longing, to see the just law of men triumph and nonetheless hope for the law of God. It is to allow oneself to live as an alien and yet not forget that we have a homeland. We cannot escape the knowledge that we live in sorrow, deprivation, and guilt before God. We seek him where intellect and experience fail. When all powers are lost in death, then we experience God's word as a powerful authority over our life, which will not let us go for an instant. This longing will last unlike the exuberant joy of religious excitement. So this, quote-unquote, for all time, longing is not to be understood as a, quote-unquote, mountaintop experience, but as reality. Well, fervor, what... Fervor is a word that's laden with the idea of emotion. Yeah. Okay. So, or feeling. I'm not saying that you can't feel um, what he's talking about, but he, emotion fades. Circumstances change, right? Right. Uh, which is why, which is why I think we're we're both adamant that your emotions are not the voice of God. Never. Right, never. But this is more like a soul-deep commitment, a declaration of war against yourself. Mm. How's that? Yeah. And you may lose a battle or two or a whole campaign, but you're at war. And uh, God is you know, your ally. He's in command of this war, and we have to fight it. But once once engaged, I don't. It's, it's, it's like total war. Yeah. And... 
reflecting on the gospel lesson for last Sunday. What does that total war bring about? Sometimes you have to hate father, mother, yeah. brothers, sisters. You have to take up your cross, your cross, even hate yourself. Mm-hmm. Then all the things that are yours, property, you have to be willing to abandon them yeah. in the pursuit of... Right. You have to be willing to abandon them. It doesn't mean that you're... that. It doesn't, like it's, it doesn't mean that when... You say when Jesus says, "Hate your mom, hate your dad, hate your hate yourself." It doesn't mean that you look in the mirror and say, "What a piece of crap." I mean, you can do that. I would. <laughs> that's true, but he's not saying to go home and tell your mom and dad that you hate them. What he's saying is, uh, it's a. I was doing some studying with for this for this past Sunday and looking around and thinking about it. And there's a literary device that it's escaping me right now, but it the name of it. But it, what it essentially is is it almost hyperbolizes one word to emphasize the other one. And so when Jesus is trying to make you know, see what it means to love him and the amount of love that you must have for him, the amount of devotion that you have must have for him, it makes your love for your mom and dad seem like hatred. And it goes back to the way that uh, in the Old Testament, how it describes you know Jacob and Esau. God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. God doesn't hate that it's just he doesn't hate Esau. He just he uses that to show the favor that Jacob is going to have. And so when when Jesus calls you to him, it's what he's what he's doing and he's saying, there's going to be people that are going to say, what are you doing? Why are you following him when this is clearly contrary to what the world says? Why are you so willing to follow Jesus when in many countries that can get you killed? or abandon you from your family. Um, don't do those things, right? That's, that's Jesus, Jesus is saying you need to be prepared for that to happen. You take up your cross, which could be the fact that people are turning against you and hating you. We experience, my wife and I experienced that for a, a good portion of our, of our engagement. People may hate you on account of me. And that's, that's part of what being a Christian is, is people are going to hate you. But we're also comforted by the promises when they hate you, it's because they hated me first. So take up your cross and follow me. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not willing to be my disciple. The problem comes if we as Christians follow Christ and come up to this point and we say, Jesus, this far but no further. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm, I've seen people do that. Mm-hmm. that um, this is too much. This is too far. Um, you can't really be asking this, whatever this is, of me. Um, not only the world will tell you, but even little C church. Church. Not the invisible church. The little C church will, will sometimes tell you you're insane mm-hmm. or fanatic right. or you're embarrassing us by, by your uh, hyper-Christian behavior. Right. Who do you think you are? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of funny because when they ask who do you think you are, the answer is actually, uh, let me tell you who I'm not. <sighs> right. Yeah. I'm no longer that person. Yeah. So you know what? Really, I'm very thankful that I'm not on social media. So if anybody hates what I have to say, I don't know. <laughs> That's right. And I don't care that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But that's an advantage. Nobody sends me texts saying, eh, you should yeah, never have I've, said that. That stuff used to that stuff used to bother me. It doesn't bother me as much anymore. Uh when I like I was stopped after giving a sermon. Pastor, I I didn't just want to let you know I didn't really appreciate what you had to say about Joel Osteen, uh yada yada yada. I didn't really appreciate what you said about people who don't give everything to follow Jesus. I didn't really appreciate this. I didn't really I'm like, okay, let's have a discussion about this. But at the end of the day, I don't care what you think. I'm convicted by what God's word has said, and that's what motivates me to say those things. And say that I say them out of love for you, I, because I want you to enjoy the benefits of living as a Christian that has been set free by the gospel, and no conviction of having to do this, that, and the other thing, or believe this, that, or the other thing in order to truly be saved. That's just kind of where I'm at. And if you don't like that... I, I don't know. I've I've really over the last couple of last couple of especially over the last year or so. If you don't like me for the way that I think, behave, believe, um, okay, <laughs> that's about it. Are you ever? That's am I wrong for that? No. You, 
It doesn't bother me anymore. It, maybe maybe I have to keep telling myself that it doesn't bother me so that it doesn't bother me. Speaking of uh, bothering, uh, do you want to? We have a little bit of time. We can dive into the next verse, which is about arrogance. Well, what I know about arrogance. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Somebody (laughs) called me arrogant just the other day. Okay. Who was that? Mm, At lunch last week. Oh, that's true. (laughs) I get called that all the time. You know everything. Oh, my gosh. But I, word of God, (laughs) give me a break. My favorite is when people ask, Pastor, uh, I have a question. Can you answer this question? And then I answer the question, and they go, well, you're just arrogant. I'm like, oh, okay. Don't ask me the question then. Arrogance, though. So Bonhoeffer, well, the psalmist, we assume David, 119, verse 21, you rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. And then he goes right into it. God hates the proud. Huh. God hates the proud who are sufficient unto themselves and who pay no attention to divine or human laws. They give nothing for compassion and despise the words of God and his faithful. Pride before God is the root of all disobedience, all violence, all careless living. Pride is the source of all rebellion, all turmoil, all destruction. But after all, pride stands under a terrible threat of which the proud know nothing, but the faithful recognize the gospel. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God's word says in 1 Peter 5, chapter 5. So pride before God is the root of all disobedience, violence, careless living, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the source of all rebellion, turmoil, destruction. Um, we could, is a very small step to say, pride is the breaking of the first commandment. I, yes, and so 100%. Every, every evil thing begins with uh, breaking the first commandment. So it's to say to God, yeah, you, you might be God, but right now, at this moment, I choose me, not yeah. you, and uh, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna celebrate me, and we're gonna have parades about me and my selfishness, and we're gonna teach kids, and we're going to shove that down their throats, and we're going to be proud of that. We are going to be proud that we live a lifestyle that is sinful. All, in every aspect, it's not just LGBTQ. It's everyone. We, you were talking about. Uh, what did you talk about hookup hookup culture, or abstinence, or something like that? Me? You were, and okay. the frustration. There was there was an article not too long ago that said about how all these different things. The, oh, I remember what it was. It was the passing of or the the deconstruction of Roe v. Wade was a threat to hookup culture. <laughs> So, so then we're, you know, the, the, the people being proud of that and being proud, it just, pride is, pride is so rooted in selfishness that it's not even, it's not even funny. And it, it, it's, there's a reason why Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs, pride goes before the fall because eventually all of this will fall and it will all crumble and it will all be destroyed because pride couldn't be more of Satan. Well, humility, on the other hand, this is kind of trite. I don't remember who said it. Humility is humility begins with saying to God, "You're God, and I'm not." Sure. But and bride says, "I'm God." <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And I choose to do what I want. And it comes in lots of flavors. So, so to to say to say God, I shouldn't say this. So, hmm. I'm going to say it anyway, without <laughs> reference, right? When, when a Christian says we have to be attentive to the blowings of the Holy Spirit to contradict that person and say the Holy Spirit will blow where we set you to work, I said, whoa, whoa, what? Mm. <laughs> if that's not prideful, I th- I sacrilegious. That, I thought that God's Word and Jesus himself said that the Spirit blows when the Spirit wants to and where the Spirit wants to. Good idea said, to actually go where he blows yes. you. Yes, oh, interesting. That's very interesting. But no, we that works does uh, not work according we'll to my make, plan. Yes, we can't we'll be having any Holy and, Spirit blowing. And we will make this happen anyway. God is with the weak. He writes, "God is with the weak and the humble." In a word, the cross of Jesus Christ is God's threat to the proud. 
They will be put to shame by God at the very moment when they think to have carried away the victory over all men. I really hope he's speaking prophetically here. Those who believe in the gospel see the sword of God all over the proud of the earth. The preaching of the word of God is the only serious threat to humanity that has become proud. God has also given the signs of his strength in his word. In the course of history, here and there, God's threat comes to fruition, and the church sees with the astonishment already in this time that the proud, the proud fallen and destroyed. I, I just, I couldn't, to, to play on words, I couldn't be more proud of what he's writing here. Because this is exactly why Christianity is under attack in this world. Because the world is, is, for lack of a better term, the world is proud. The world has become all about the world. People have become all about themselves. What can we do to prop our own agendas? What can we do to make everything about us? And which is why when you preach the cross, when you preach Christ crucified, you preach the gospel in its purity, it's offensive. It's a stumbling, bo- stumbling block, right? Yeah. So the cheap shot would be to take us back to the average 50% Lutheran of Lutherans answer the question, how do you know you're going to heaven? And the answer is, I'm a good person. That Thanks, Tom. obviates, cancels, or whatever word you want to use, the cross. Yeah. I'm a good person. That doesn't sound prideful. It doesn't say I'm a perfect person. I'm just a good person. But good people can't come to the cross. They can see it, but it has no... They can't they've denied come. its power. Yeah, they can't come unless they're drawn to it or brought to it, kicking and screaming. Because that's, that's... Protestant, broken, but yes. Well, yeah. yeah. But that's what repentance is. It's God dragging you to the foot of the cross. It's not even you doing because you don't want to do that. We talked about this at Family of God not too long ago. You don't want to repent. Nobody wants to repent. You're, the things when you are repenting, it's you're not doing it willingly. You're doing it because God is making you do it. God's working through you so that He can give you His grace and forgiveness. Let me argue with you. I'll repent all day to the traffic cop to avoid that five hundred dollar ticket. Beautiful. Yep. <laughs> but I'm only doing it to avoid the right. five hundred dollar ticket. I, yeah. Right. Well, that's. I would say that's not even real repentance. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> no. But you want to. Uh, you want to look at the end there? Because Bonhoeffer goes off and breaks the sentence right in half, and there is nothing else after that. So the last sentence is, the curse upon the breaking of God's commandment is God's law, and, and it ends. Uh, dot, dot, dot. To find out more, could return next week. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to talk to him in heaven because it, he never came back to it. Yeah. Oh, because... Everything went nuts in Germany from that point. So I think to understand that, um, well, he, Deuteronomy 27, 26, cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. So there's a particular unfortunate burden to know what God's will is and then to, to defy it. Sure. New Testament reference would be, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, a man will reap what he sows. So in independent of salvation, defiance of God's law brings God's discipline, which I would say most of us are in the greater Lutheran LCMS church are oblivious to that, that um, my life choices can bring God's discipline upon me. Maybe in the abstract, you know, okay, if I start drinking and Drinking and driving, I understand bad things could happen to me. But right. what about the everyday defiance of God in our lives? Every day we make choices, even the best of us, that are directly defiant to God, and he's supposed to just suck them up because, after all, grace covers everything. Right. That's not how it works. There are consequences, right. in-this-life consequences for what did Paul say? And here's your chance, Ready? Show us how great a scholar you are. I didn't know what sin was until I... Until I learned the law. Yeah, yes. that's paraphrasing, but yeah. Yes. And the law became an opportunity to sin, and he goes on to say, not that the law made him sin, but 
the more I knew about the law, the more I said. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And so he writes, he writes that, and then he breaks, and it's just kind of a weird place. It's just in the book it says, here the manuscript breaks off, and we don't really know why. Um, the author seems to have some thoughts about that. Do you want to speak those? you just want me to read them? This is what Edwin Robertson writes. He says, for the reasons for the break, he says, we cannot know why Bonhoeffer stopped in the middle of this sentence. At a point in his argument that was reaching a conclusion, albeit one that he himself had difficulty reaching. The Psalms have always played a part in times of terror and persecution. The Covenanters in Scotland and the Dutch under Spanish terror both found weapons in the Psalms. Bonhoeffer clearly refers to the German tyranny and his treatment of the proud, but he is conscious of his own situation at the moment and finds himself with a sense of guilt and dread that he too is about to break the commandments of God. Do you think that that's true? I want I want to say he's like, he's like somebody dancing on a razor blade. Okay. That uh, well, it it's summed up a little later when uh, the announcement that France had fallen. Um, yeah. Patriarch songs raised their arms in Hitler salutes, and Bonhoeffer did the same. Why would mm-hmm. he do that? Right. That's the second time I've said this is not in character. Right. But. Uh, yeah, that was we read that not too long ago. The episode about Heil Hitler when he says that, yeah. raises arm and yeah. says that. Yeah. We shouldn't first underestimate how much pain was caused by the defeat of Germany uh, by France and the Allies in the First War. So mm-hmm. it is a human. Ah, uh, yeah, we turn the tables on you now. So yeah, yeah. and. Um, but he credits this to a beginning of a double life. Yeah, that's what I, was I just think that's say. very yeah. Um, generous. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. I. This is from this point on, he leads a double life, appearing to be, trying to appear to the government as loyal at the same time being. Um, oh, he's about to that try spoke to in the out. wheel. That. Yeah. Yep. And so, I don't know. I think that might have just been. His sinful nature taking over for a second out of that. Yeah, sure. Uh, but from 1940, the, the whole situation in Germany accelerates. You know, before you know it, they're invading Russia and getting, you know, what bombed out of them. And, mm-hmm. yeah, the the death camps are starting to, you know, the, the whole thing. Yeah. It, snowball, it snowballs pretty quickly. More like an avalanche, but yeah. Yeah, yeah avalanche. Um, and so I don't know why in particular he didn't return to this. Maybe he had more important things that he needed to, including the seminaries. It says he was in Memel. Memel is in East Prussia, not where the seminaries were, but in that area where they were. So anyway. Anything else you want to add before we uh, close out? Yeah, I, enjoy your one gallon of apple cider. <laughs> I intend to. We might go to a cider mill this weekend. We'll have to wait and see. She could buy yourself a little hand cider mill. I'm surprised. I'm surprised, I'm surprised they haven't uh, created an, uh, some kind of a car that just pumped with electric or uh, apple cider. Not at fourteen dollars a gallon. <laughs> Anything to get money. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for uh, tuning in today. Uh, we are going to be back next week. We're going to dive into a very interesting article that both of us, uh, I found it online. I found it uh, I found it in just my reading. Both of us are part of a, of a weekly, bi-weekly, every now and again. You get a, an article, an interesting academic article from, about Bonhoeffer something or another. And the one that we came across my, my uh, email last week, end of last week, found it early this week. Uh, was Bonhoeffer's view of uh, baptizing infants. And so we're going to talk about infant baptism which is in the Nazi context. Yes, thank you, Pastor. We're going to talk about the uh, the baptizing of Nazis. Nazis. <laughs> I'm all, all out of whack here. We're going to talk about uh, Bonhoeffer's uh, theology of baptizing infants in the face of, uh, of what, what that looked like in a Nazi context. And uh, should we baptize when the Nazis have taken bapti- baptism as a right, essentially uh, an Aryan right? And so we'll talk about that going into next week. So, 
Uh, go to, thank you for tuning in. Go to the website, www.fogdetroit.com. Uh, you can find out uh, some more things about the ministry. It hasn't been updated in a little bit. I apologize for that. That's on my list of things to do uh, next week. Um, but there's still some cool things there if you wanted to check that out. If you haven't done that yet, thank you for all of those of you who continue to support the podcast. This is support the ministry. We can't do what we do without you. So go with God's peace this weekend and always. And as per huge, if no one has told you yet, God loves you and so do we. Take care, everyone.